You're listening to the Burn Youth Podcast. We hope this message encourages and challenges you to live for Jesus. Let's get into it. There's got to be more. There's got to be more. Or you're going to find out. Turn to your neighbor and say, there's got to be more. Turn to your other neighbor and say, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. Have you ever said that to yourself? There's got to be more. And then my wife says it very often. When she goes to the fridge and something she was expecting there is not there. (laughs) I like to have lemon juice in my water. I love a little bit of lemon juice in my water and she'll go there to the fridge to go find that lemon juice that she knows is waiting there for her recipe, right? And there's barely anything there. Hamish, where is the lemon juice? Come on, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. Or you take your girl out to a fancy restaurant and you pay $100 for a main uh, dish and it comes out looking like an entree. It's freaking tiny. And you say, there's got to be more. I'm not made of money, <laughs> right? Or you go see a movie that you've been, you know, expectantly waiting for and you're super excited and then it just ends and the credits roll and you think, are you serious? There's got to be more. Somebody say, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. Hey, let's take it seriously for a second. I feel like that phrase, that saying, there's got to be more. I feel like that's true for a lot of us Christians here tonight. I feel like some of us Christians, maybe we've been living a Christian life, doing a Christian walk with Jesus, but you're feeling at this point in time that there's got to be more. There's got to be more. Maybe you rock up to youth every Friday or church every Sunday, but you leave that service feeling empty still. Maybe you're stuck in the rut of ritualistic Christianity AKA, you're stuck in the ebbs and flows. You're stuck in the routine of just coming to youth, saying grace at dinner time, doing your religion class at school, yada, 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 but you still feel empty. There's something still missing. I want to tell you tonight that there's got to be more. That feeling of emptiness inside of you, don't feel ashamed about it, but use it as a point to realize that there's got to be more in your life. Some of us feel like we've been Christian for a long time and we should still have it all together. And you're feeling doubts. Maybe you're feeling a little bit ashamed that you still feel empty on on the inside, but you're a Christian, right? Isn't the story that you feel empty on the inside when you're not a Christian? Isn't the the story that you only feel empty because there's a Jesus-shaped hole in your heart and you need Jesus? But I've accepted Jesus. Why do I still feel empty? Is anyone that's ever felt like that today? Come on, let's be real. Has anyone ever still felt empty after they received Jesus? Okay, a lot of us. I'm telling you today, there is more. Pastor Hamish, there's more than Jesus? What are you talking about? Get off the stage. That's just, that's just not biblical. No, no. You'll see what I mean in a second. But there is more to the Christian walk than what many of you have experienced. There is more. You can have more. There are greater levels. There are deeper depths. You can have more. There's got to be more. I want to read tonight from Numbers. I want to read tonight from Numbers 14, starting at verse 1. 
Okay, Numbers 14. Now let's put this in context. Okay, who has their Bibles tonight? Does anyone have their Bibles? Okay, we said, uh, Joey, next week, if you bring your Bibles next week, you'll get a lolly. Okay, someone hold me accountable for that. You will get a lolly if you bring your physical Bible next week. So Numbers 14, what's happening? Let's give you the background, right? So the background of this story is that Moses, through the power of God, he's led the nation of Israel out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. They weren't treated very well. And remember, you know, the sea opened. God opened up the ocean. They walked across. They were in the desert for 40 years wandering the desert, following God's voice. God gave them a pillar of fire in the night to keep them warm and to guide them. He gave them a cloud during the day to give them shelter and to guide them. He gave them bread from heaven. He provided food and water for them when they were hungry and thirsty. And now God has led Moses and the Israelites to the edge of a land promised to them. God's like, I'm not going to leave you in the desert. I've promised you a land just for you. And we're right on the edge of it right now here in chapter 14. Let's pick it up. Oh, a little bit more context. I forgot. What's happened is Moses, he's with the people on the edge of the promised land. He sends 12 spies to scout out the land, see if it's okay for them to capture and, you know, inhabit. 10 of the 12 spies come back saying there's giants in the land. It's like the people there are they are ripped, man. They're going to destroy us. And only two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, come back with a positive uh, result. They come back after spying the land and Joshua and Caleb go, you know what? Yeah, there is a strong enemy there, but God is on our side and we can take this. If God's promised it for us, we can take it. Amen. Okay. And this, this is what happens in verse one of chapter 14. I promise no more context. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Because remember, 10 of the spies said that we can't take this land. It's impossible. So the whole nation is crying. And all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Flip. And they said to each other, we should just choose a leader and go back to Egypt. These people, they've got no real faith. Isn't it crazy? I just told you everything that God did for them. I just told you how he saved them from Egypt. He literally opened up the waters for them. He provided for them for 40 years through the desert. And he leads them to the edge of a land that he promised for them. And still they doubt him. They have no faith. I wonder tonight, is that the same with you? God saved you however many years ago and he's led you through trials. He's provided for you. He's looked after, for, after you and he's been alongside you through, through highs and lows, but now you're on the edge of something and you're doubting it. <laughs> Why? Why? We pick it up from verse five. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there and Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Yep, that word. Uh, they were among those, Joshua and Caleb, they were among those who had explored the land. So they're the spies that came back with the positive report, right? They tore their clothes and they said to the Israelite assembly, now you got to understand, when people tear their clothes, it means they're really upset, okay? We don't do that nowadays, <laughs> right? Usually, you know, people that want to, yeah, keep your clothes on at youth group, okay? But these guys, they're tearing their clothes because... They're upset, right? And they say in front of the Israelites, they say, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. 
a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord. Don't rebel against the Lord. And don't be afraid of the people of the land because we're going to devour them. We're going to eat them for breakfast. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Man, what faith, the, the contrast of faith, right? Hear the voices of the Israelites. They're going, let's just go back to Egypt. I'd rather be a slave than die in the promised land because God's not going to be with us. And Joshua and Caleb are like, he is with us. We're gonna, he's going to help us eat our enemies for breakfast. We got this because God is on our side. I wonder, are you obedient to God? Are you obedient to God? God's on your side, but are you on his? They said, we need only, or do not rebel against the Lord. That means don't go against his will, but rather go with his will. Be obedient to him and he will help you overcome the challenges in your life. Amen. Yeah. Let's pick it up from verse 10. But the whole assembly, after they heard Joshua and Caleb say this, right? The whole assembly talked about stoning them. They wanted to kill them. <laughs> and then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent. The spirit of the Lord appeared at the tent uh, of meeting to all the Israelites. And the Lord said to Moses, how long, this is God speaking, how long, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I've performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. But I'll make you, Moses, into a nation greater and stronger than they. So God, he's furious. He's like, I've, led the, I've saved these guys and I've led them for 40 years and we're at the edge of the promise and they still don't want to have a relationship with me. We're at the edge of the promise. We're at the edge of the thing I'm about to call them into and they still don't have faith in me. They still don't trust in me. And he wants to smite them all. He wants to kill them all, right? And in the next passage, we're not going to read it, but in the next passage, Moses convinces God to spare his wrath. And this is God's compromise in verse 20. The Lord replied, okay, I've forgiven them. <laughs> I've forgiven them as you've asked. Nevertheless, well, but as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me 10 times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Flick forward to 27. How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites, whinges, whiners, ugh. So tell them as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you 20 years old or more who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you, will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb son of, and Joshua son of Nun. As for your children that you said will be taken as plunder, I'm going to bring them in to enjoy the land that you rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. <laughs> you hear us talk a lot at youth about how God loves you, and he, let me tell you, he does. But if you're disobedient, he does have a punish for you, <laughs> right, right? Because he's just. But you know, God is not only just, he's also good. And something I learned from this story, and I hope you, you hear what I'm saying tonight. Something I learned from this story is that you can be saved by God, but have no relationship with him. You can be saved by God. He can take you out of Egypt, but that doesn't necessarily mean you got a relationship with him. 
These guys, they were saved 40 years ago. You'd think they'd have plenty of time to get to know him and to trust him and to love him, but still they have no relationship with him. And God is standing there on the edge of the promised land, looking back at 40 years of, of trials and 40 years of faithfulness and 40 years of miracles. And he's saying, there's got to be more. He's saying, are you serious? We're at this point 40 years later and this is all you got for me? You got no faith in me? You don't trust me? You don't love me? You're not obedient to me? There's got to be more. Somebody say, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. I believe God is saying to you tonight, there's got to be more. So I got three points. Three, there's got to be mores. Are you with me? Are you taking notes? See the boys down here who are getting baptized, they're taking notes. Fantastic, fantastic. First point, there's got to be more than friends. There's got to be more than friends. I'm not saying when, when the girl says, hey, I want to be more than friends. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there's got to be more than friends. Your relationship with Jesus can't be based on your friendships with people. Now, don't get me wrong. Your friendships are fantastic. And you know what? It's so good. We talked about friendships last week. It's so good to have godly friendships. You know, friends in your life that are going to hold you accountable, that are going to sharpen you, right? Iron sharpens iron, Proverbs 17, right? But your relationship with Jesus can't be based on a relationship with a person. Many of you have parents that love the Lord. Some of you, your parents don't know Jesus yet. And we, we pray and believe that they will. But many of you, you have parents who love the Lord. And some of us growing up in church, we just kind of piggyback on their relationship with Jesus without developing our own relationship with Jesus. Many of you were invited to church by a friend. Maybe your family isn't Christian, but your friend is. At some point, your relationship with Jesus has to dislocate itself from your relationship with your friend. What happens when your friend stops coming to church? I'm not prophesying it. I hope they stay. But what if your friend not only stops going to church, but stops believing in Jesus? What are you going to do then if your only connection to Jesus was through a friend? Now, some of you younger ones, you haven't had that yet. You got your whole group of friends that are here in church. You guys come to youth every week. It's, it's phenomenal. You young girls, awesome. But some of you older ones, right? You know what I'm talking about. Some of you older ones, the group of friends you're at, at church with now is not the same as when you started. A lot have come and gone. A lot have left. I could name dozens. I'm not going to name them, but you, you're thinking of them right now. And you're thinking, what happened? And I thank God that you're here tonight because it means that there's something inside of you that wants Jesus more than just, you know, the social thing that you had with your friends. But younger ones, there will come a time where your friends go. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? There will come a time. Man, I'm not friends with a single friend that I had in high school. A single friend, and God bless them, I love them. But all my friends in high school, man, I had tons of friends in high school. Not a single one of them is here today. You know who's here today? Jesus, the one who's the same yesterday, today and forever. He's the friend that'll stay forever. So, so, you know, invest in your friendships, fantastic. Have tons of friends, awesome. But even more than that, invest in your friendship with Jesus, please. There's gotta be more than friends. There's gotta be faith. There's gotta be faith. You need to have faith in Jesus for yourself. When faith matters more than friends, take, write this down if you're taking notes. When faith matters more than friends, Friday nights and Sundays are a no-go. That means when a friend says, hey, let's go party. Let's go do this on a Friday night. Faith matters 
Faith matters to me more than friendship. And so Fridays are just a no-go. There's not even an option. When faith matters more than friends, you follow Jesus no matter what your friends are doing. No matter if they go to another church or stop going to church altogether or stop believing in Jesus or start you know, laughing at you for believing in Jesus or whatever, no matter what they're doing, you believe in Jesus no matter what. You come to church no matter what. You read your Bible no matter what because your faith matters more than your friends. When faith matters more than friends, you care more about what Jesus thinks of you than what your friends think of you. Right? There might come a time where the friend sitting next to you starts bagging you out for following Jesus. I don't wish that upon you, but there may come a time because it's happened to me. But if you care more about your faith than your friends, then you're going to not listen to that voice, but rather you're going to listen to the voice of Jesus. He's saying, you're chosen. I love you. I saw you in your mother's womb. I, I have a plan and a purpose for you. You're, you're a child of God. You're going to listen to that voice rather than the voice of your friend. When faith matters more than friends, it doesn't matter who is or isn't going to youth tonight. You're just there, right? I'm sure some of you have had that, that conversation in your mind. Oh, but Becky's not going tonight, so I don't know if I feel comfortable. You're just gonna go there anyway, because it doesn't matter who's there or who isn't there. Jesus is there and you're gonna meet Him there. You have a divine appointment with Him. Second point, there's gotta be more than belonging. There's gotta be more than belonging. You'll often hear me say up on the stage to the new people, hey, you don't have to believe to belong. You don't have to believe to belong. And what that means is, you know, many of you walking into church tonight, walking into youth tonight, you don't know if you believe in Jesus. You don't know if you're a Christian. You know, we come from many different backgrounds. And so you, you may be a little bit unsure of what you believe. And you might be nervous thinking, do I fit into this place if I'm not a Christian? And so I'm saying to you, you don't have to believe to belong. We love you. We want you to feel accepted. But many of you for a long time now have already believed. Many of you decided ages ago to follow Jesus and ages ago that you believe in Him. And so for you guys, there's got to be more than belonging. Youth group, church, has to, you have to graduate beyond just belonging to a social crowd. There's got to be more than belonging. There's got to be becoming. Becoming. Many of us are just stuck in belonging. But we got to stop actually becoming like Jesus. What do I mean? I mean coming to youth with not the main intent being just socialising, but coming to youth with the main intent of hearing the Word, as in hearing the sermon, like what the preacher's preaching, and applying it to your life. Jesus says the person who hears God's Word but doesn't apply it is like a man who builds his house on the sand. The winds and the waves come, and because it's built on bad foundations, the house topples over. But a wise person is someone who hears God's Word and actually wants to apply it into his life. Someone who builds their house on a firm foundation and when the winds and the waves come, they're not going to be shook. If you come to youth and you just sit at the back and chat, but you don't actually listen to what your youth leaders are saying, or rather listen to what God is saying to you through your youth leaders, and then think about how you can apply that practically in your life, then what's the point? I don't want to lead a youth group that's just a social club. If you want a social club, Go to Boys Brigade. If you want a social club, go party. And yes, we like to socialise. We like to have fun. We're going to have hang time afterwards. But there's got to be more than just belonging. There's got to be becoming like Jesus. I want to lead a youth ministry of people that want to be discipled. I want to lead a youth ministry of people that want to grow, that want to learn more, that want to actually start becoming like Jesus, not just hearing about Him. Come on. <laughs> So here's what you do. You start taking notes at youth. 
You read them over again and again during the week and you start thinking how you can apply them to your life. You start living what your youth leaders are preaching. Don't just come to youth to feel good. Come to youth to get equipped and become more like Jesus. Don't, belong, don't just belong to burn youth. Wait, let me word this. Don't belong to burn youth, but then fail to forgive your friends. Don't belong to burn youth, but then fail to love people. Don't belong to burn youth, but then lie to your parents. If you belong to burn youth, but fail to live like Jesus, that tells me that there's a disconnect. Belong to burn youth and start becoming more like Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Thanks, Satina. <laughs> All right, last point, I promise. He's got to be more than Savior. He's got to be more than Savior. He's got to be Lord. He's got to be more than Savior. He's got to be Lord. What do I mean by that? I'm not trying to diminish what Jesus did on the cross. And by the way, if you don't know what He did, He saw us dying in our sins. And He moved heaven and earth to come down and sacrifice His life and rise again so that we could be free from sin, we can be free from the curse of death, and we could have life everlasting with the Father in heaven. So He set us free. He, he gave us life. He gave us everything. And that's how He saved us. That's why we call Him our Saviour. But at some point, we got to graduate beyond just calling Him Saviour. And we got to actually start calling Him Lord as well. When we call Him Saviour, this is what it means. It means that at some point in your life, He saved you from something. But when you call Him Lord, that title Lord, Jesus, you are my Lord, that implies that you have a relationship with Him. That implies that you revere Him. You respect Him. You are obedient to Him. You want to serve Him. Mm. If we only treat Jesus as our Lord, we only come to Him when we need help. Can we get the band up? If we only treat Jesus as our Savior, we want Him to save us, but then we just want Him to leave us alone to do life our way. If we only call Jesus Savior, we, re we reduce what He can do in our life and we don't allow Him to truly transform us. If we only call Jesus Savior, we're saying, thanks for dying for me, Jesus, but I'm gonna take it from here, <laughs> right? I'm gonna take the wheel, right? But no, when we call Him Lord, it's more than just calling Him Savior. When we call Him Lord, we're actually handing over control to Him. This is what we're doing. When, when we call Him Lord, when Jesus is your Lord, you spend time with Him every day. When, when Jesus is your Lord, you can't finish a day without talking to Him. When Jesus is your Lord, you are so hungry to spend time with Him. When Jesus is your Lord, you actually submit to His authority. That means you don't go around doing things your way. That means you actually ask Him, Lord, what do you want me to do today? How do you want me to live? How do you want me to behave? Lord, this person has hurt me and they've upset me. How do you want me to respond? I know how I want to respond. I want to smack them over the head. But Lord, how do you want me to respond, right? You submit your will to His because He's no longer just Savior. He's also your Lord. Right? When Jesus is your Lord, you put Him first before every other commitment and relationship in your life. You put Him before soccer. You put Him before rugby. You put Him before netball or dance. You put Him before, I don't know, whatever you do, Minecraft, Fortnite, whatever games you play nowadays, right? You put Him before friendships. You put Him before your mum, your dad, your best friend, your grandma, whatever. You put Him before anything and everything in your life because Jesus is your Lord. Jesus is your Lord. 
When I was five, when I was five, I gave my life to Jesus. I called Him my Saviour. When I was five, I was watching The Prince of Egypt. Has anyone seen that movie, that old DreamWorks movie, right? It's about Moses, like, yeah, right? And I was, do you remember that scene where he's looking at the hieroglyphs and he has that nightmare about, you know, uh, the Egyptians throwing all the babies into the Nile and they're getting eaten by the, yeah, scary scene. They're getting eaten by the crocodiles. I had nightmares about that, that scene. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is so, as, as a five-year-old, I knew that that was evil and that was wrong. And I asked my dad to come and pray for me. And my dad was like, son, you don't have to be afraid of evil if you've got Jesus in your life. And I prayed a prayer with him as a five-year-old to accept Jesus into my life and accept him as my savior. And that sent me down a path that has been the most best thing in my life. Now, obviously as a five-year-old, I didn't know much, right? And so as I got older, my knowledge of Jesus started to improve, started to become more complete. At nine years of age, I got baptized in water. I got the full dunk, the full immersion, right? That was fantastic. That was a chance for me to, to say to the whole church, you know, I, I'm really serious about Jesus. You know, He's saved me. He's my Savior. I'm, I want to follow Him. Then at 13, I started getting really insecure. I wonder if some of you are there today. Right? At 13, I was getting lanky. My voice was dropping. It was doing all those like... <laughs> Right? Um, my friends started calling me pizza face, brace face, um, just, you know, all those things, right? I had braces, I, I had acne, it was really bad, I was really insecure about it. I had acne all down my back, and I would wake up and it would like all be popped and, and like pus and blood on my shirt. Um, I was really embarrassed. I, I wasn't, I didn't love myself, I was, was insecure, I hated who I was. But, I, but I'd been going to church my whole life and I was baptized and I was saved and I went to youth every Friday and I came home feeling empty. I came home saying to myself, there's gotta be more. There's gotta be more. At 16, things had gone from bad to worse. Not only was I insecure, but at 16, I was trying to find my identity in relationships uh, with girls that I knew I shouldn't be in. Relationships where I was crossing boundaries. Relationships where I was lying to my parents about where I was and what I was doing. And at that point, I was still going to youth every Friday. I was still going to church every Sunday. But not only was I saying there's gotta be something more, I was also saying, I don't even know if I believe in this anymore. I don't even know if I believe in this anymore. Then at the age of 18, my whole family went away on a holiday without me. <laughs> and I was there at home for two weeks and I had a lot of time to think. And I, I don't think I've ever heard audibly the voice of God, but the closest it, it was to audibly, the most powerful voice, I, I felt God speak to me in my heart. And I felt Him very clearly say, this is not the life I want for you. I got something better. There's more than this. And he picked me out of that. 
He picked me out of that direction. And he, and he said, I want you to work for me. I want you to live for me. And he, and he said, he called, he called me to ministry. He called me to be a pastor. That's, that's why Meg and I do what we do, right? Right, he called me to, to work with young people and to tell them that they are loved. And even though that they don't love themselves and they feel insecure, there's a God out there who created them, who loves them and who has a plan and purpose for them. He called me to that. <laughs> and I'd been saved my whole life since I was five. I'd been saved and I'd been going to church and kids church and youth on a Friday night. And for so long, I felt like there was something missing. For so long, I felt like there was a big hole in my heart, even though, you know, that Jesus hole had already been filled. I was like, oh, there's something missing. And I, I tried to find it in, in girlfriends. I tried to find it in relationships. I tried to find it in things that made me feel good, but I still felt hollow. I still felt empty. And then God showed up and He said, I'm all you need. I'm all you need. You need to stop calling me just Saviour. You need to start calling me Lord. What you're missing is that you only ever call Him Saviour, but you need to start calling Him Lord. What, what I mean by that is you only ever say, He saved me at one point. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm all good. But you need to start saying, I need more than that, Jesus. I need, more, I need something more than just you saving me from sin. I need you to take over. I need you to just overwhelm my life. I need you to just take over. I can't do this on my own. I'm helpless on my own, right? I'm, I'm brace face, pizza face, you know, loser on my own, but I need you, Jesus, to be the Lord of my life. I, I, I don't wanna do life my own way because I've seen how it's been. I've tried to pursue things and try to make myself better and I, I suck without you, Jesus. I need you to take over my life. I need you to be Lord. Not my will, but your will. Not my will, but your will. I want you to stand tonight. Let's stand. I want to just sing this bridge for a little bit. And I want you just right now, I don't want you to talk to your friends. I don't want you to look at them. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to raise your hand if you feel comfortable. Raise your hands if you feel comfortable. And we're just going to sing this bridge. And I just want you to think about how Jesus can be the Lord of your life. Come on, let's sing this bridge. Thanks for tuning in to the Burn Youth Podcast. To stay in the loop, follow us on Instagram at Burn Youth. See you next time.